HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hi, I'm Dylan Hoyer, the producer of The Shameless Chef. I'm sharing another bonus episode today from HRN's series, The Feed Feed. Home cooks and recipe lovers may already be familiar with The Feed Feed. It's the world's largest Epicurean social media community and crowdsourced publication. On their podcast, you can engage with the food content creators who push the needle forward of what we cook, bake, and drink. Conversations cover how we consume food when we aren't actually consuming it. Everything from navigating social media, building, engaging with, and growing a community, and producing content that resonates with young and old. The episode I'm sharing today is an interview with one of my personal favorite cookbook authors and food bloggers, Deb Perlman of Smitten Kitchen. She's definitely a shameless chef. This is one of the Feed Feed's earliest and most popular episodes. You'll get the behind-the-scenes scoop of how Smitten Kitchen recipes are developed. If you like what you hear, subscribe to the Feed Feed wherever you listen to podcasts, and find the links to do so in our show notes. Plus, check out HRN's new website to explore our 15,000-episode archive and consider donating to sustain the future of food radio. Now, here's the episode. This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, a co-working building in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Need a professional place to work from? Learn more by visiting 100bogart.com. This week on a special bonus episode of Meet and 3, we're celebrating Mardi Gras with an ode to the king cake, the most delicious custom of carnival season. This is kind of like terrible comparison, but it's kind of like a braided New Orleans babka, if you really think about the actual technique of it. Do we know why they put a baby in the cake yet? You'd better be careful where you get that cake because your friends and coworkers in New Orleans are going to have an opinion about it. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there, welcome to The Feed Feed, where we sit down with leaders and upstarts of the food media realm to discuss everything from navigating social media, building, engaging with, and growing a community, and producing content that resonates with young and old. 
I'm Jay Cohen, Editorial Director of The Feed Feed, the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source of what to cook, bake, and drink. Today, we are with the queen of food bloggers. She is a cookbook author. She is a recipe guru. We're with Deb Perlman of Smitten Kitchen. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for inviting me. So, honestly, like... I was so excited to sit down and talk. I, I'm a huge fan of your recipes, your books, everything you do, and like every all the editors at Feed Feed that heard that we were going to be recording this were like, Deb's coming. Deb's Aww, coming. I'm so flattered. Um, and this is kind of something that I feel like is super uh, common when people say your name or when people say Smitten Kitchen. Uh, but before we get too into it, how did it start? How did you pick <laughs> this name? What were you doing? Oh, my goodness. I was not doing a whole lot. I mean, I was. I had a job job, you know. What was a, it? A job. Well, I've had a, many different phases of my career. I actually went to grad school for art therapy and I was doing that, that for a few years. I, I liked it, but I also kind of hated it. Like I just, I couldn't see doing this forever. And around the time I, before I had Smitten Kitchen, I had a website called Just, it was not called Just Smitten, it was called Smitten and it wasn't focused on food. Um, and I was just writing and I just thought I've got to get a little bit more into writing, which is not that easy to break into when you are an art therapist um, <laughs> with no relevant experience and absolutely no connections whatsoever. So I ended up just kind of begging around until I got a job as an editorial assistant at a um, B2B uh, tech magazine. <laughs> and I was working there for a couple years before I was staff writer. And that's basically what I was doing around the time that um, I started Smitten Kitchen. It was just getting bigger and bigger. So I decided to make the leap and make it my full-time job, um, presuming that I could still freelance on the side as I needed to, to make ends meet. And that brings us up to today. Wow, that was really that was fast. It. That, that was, was super. It. That wow, was all that. that was it. Twenty years, <laughs> fifteen years. Wow. <laughs> so, in terms of like, what was your experience cooking? Did you grow up cooking? Did you? Is like the, those old school memories with your mother. Like, what kind of got you into that? <laughs> I feel like every food writer is like required by like food writing law to have like some like story about an origin story. Grandma. It's like yeah, a superhero. Yeah, your grandmother. You were at her knee. Like, it was really not like that. I mean, I definitely like grew up among people who were not afraid to cook. Um, but it's not like my mom was like, my mother taught herself to cook after she got married. She had no idea how to do anything. And she was like watching Julia Child one day, the French chef, yes. I think, on PBS. And she was like, ooh, I want to eat that. <laughs> so that was basically it. She just bought herself mastering the art of French cooking. And she learned onion soup and beef bourguignon and omelets and stuff. And that was, that was really it. So growing up, um, probably I was supposed to be eating a lot of Jewish food, but instead I was eating like French and my grandparents lived out in San Diego. My mom always loved the California style of cooking. So it was a lot of like artichokes and avocado and asparagus. We always call it the A's like apricots, you know, I can just Love keep going. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, right. So growing up, like definitely there was cooking and there was no fear of cooking, but it was not anything like what I do now, which is this like obsessive tackling of recipes until I'm happy with it. And that for me more came from like becoming an so-called adult and just realizing that I didn't know how to cook anything. Like I knew how to follow a recipe, but I didn't have a go-to. I cannot stand recipe roulette. Like when I want to make a yellow cake, I want that yellow cake perfect. I don't want to go and be like, which one should I use? Of course. What happened last time? And when I make something, I want to write it down and talk about what I changed and what I would never do again. And this is a natural place for a blog to start, I think, um, where you want to 
refine your techniques and kind of get your recipes together. And that was really all it was for me at first, just a place to say, do this and do not do that. I love it. And now in terms of like the blog universe, <laughs> this, this was really the beginning of food blogs and, and how it, and not necessarily their existence, but their um, prevalence as these authorities in terms of food. Um, what was that like as it grew and people started not only making your recipes, but using you as this culinary authority? Oh my God. I was shocked that people thought I knew what I was doing. Like, it's crazy. I was not like the first, to me, I wasn't the first food blogger at all. Like, I feel like there were a whole bunch of people who came before me, but they were more people who were like, they were in the restaurant world or they were going through cooking school or they had a like very specific point of view. Like, I'm going to teach you how to cook Thai food. And it wasn't as much like, eh, you know, I made this cake and it was kind of average and I think you shouldn't make it, make it this way. <laughs> um, that was not so popular. <laughs> People who knew nothing. Um, so, but I, I, it, nothing really changed. I just kept doing it. And um, I did, I saw that traffic was growing, but I wasn't like, I'm going to do something very different now. I was really just doing the same thing. And then once it became my full-time job, I was able to do it more often and put more energy into it. Was there something we kind of talked about in a previous episode was with um, Chelsea White of Chel Sweets. Oh, wow. And she was talking about kind of the threshold that she made for herself when she was going to quit her job and start doing it full-time. Did you have um, kind of like a mindset of when you were going to do Smitten Kitchen? Yes, absolutely. I mean, as enjoyable it was to work in B2B tech publishing when I knew literally <laughs> nothing about tech and it was all men who did not take me very seriously, nor do I necessarily think that I needed to be taken very seriously back then. Regardless, I was not like, this is it. This is my forever job. I'm really grateful for the people I met over the years and the experience doing like real non-editorial writing um but aside from that no I had to get out of there I mean like this was not <laughs> this was not gonna work so basically for me it was really just about if I could get the ad income on my site um which is really reflective of traffic to match my salary if I had been a doctor like maybe it would have never happened <laughs> or maybe it would have taken a few more years but you know at the time I, I was a pretty low bar of what I needed to earn <laughs> to break even um and then cover insurance so I love it. um that, that was really a... it and when I hit it I was like I was telling my husband the whole time I'm like I think it's gonna happen in January I think it's happening in January let me get out of there by June like that was basically what I did that's I mean that's kind of exactly <laughs> what you would need to Start yeah, start it going. <laughs> See you later. So now you're doing it full time. You are throwing your heart and soul into <laughs> recipes. What has been that process in terms of learning how to not only make recipes and talk about them, but start to develop your own um, mm -hmm. and write about it? Um, it's very interesting because I've always been extremely loyal to this idea of like sourcing where recipes come from almost to an obsessive way. Most people are like, eh, I changed a couple things. It's mine. But I feel that integral to the story about cooking yes. is like where it came from. I love the way Susan Spongen makes apple tart tatin, And I love the way this person does this. So I did this technique and I mashed it with this. And the feedback from that is unfortunate. People think, oh my God, she doesn't write her own recipes. And it's like, I just wrote a recipe. But re regardless of that... It was definitely a process where I was going from strictly following others to really feeling more comfortable going into my own because the more you cook, the more you get to play that 
I'm not going to do that game. Yeah. <laughs> you know that I'm not going to do that game. I am the, not going to do I it all the not, time. I am not going to do that. You're starting to make a cuss. You're like, I'm not going to do it that way. I'm not heating my cream. Like, I'm like, you know, so um, that's basically what happens. And I, you start writing better recipes because they come from experience. And they're streamlined and they've cut a lot of the noise out. And you're less loyal to what like strict cooking pro like who who am I writing for I'm writing for people who are cooking for a home at home who cares if the technique is perfect yeah. so um so anyway it, it basically was just a transition I it became my full-time I started the site in 2006 it I went full-time with it in 2008 and around I guess 2009 2010 I started working on a cookbook which came out in 2012 um and then I wrote a second one that came out in 2017. That that is like it. That is like the entire story of my career. We don't have anything else we can talk about. But tonight. you're you're underplaying <laughs> it so much because these are obviously years that are not just that didn't just go by. You created iconic recipes, two cookbooks. Like as we were just talking before we started recording, it's like I just handed in my manuscript and it, it's. You look surprisingly unhaunted. Like I, feel I like am you unwell. Look, I am unwell at my by core. The, by the time I like handed in the cookbooks, always late always like full of apologies I was like this I was like a, a hollow shell of the person I'd been in part because it's such an exhausting process and yes. it's kind of like you think that you're gonna ha you're on this track and then you know what you have left to do but you forgot about this thing and that thing 100%. And this, it's a little bit like leaving the house with kids where you think you're ready to go and then it's like oh actually I don't have my left sock on or something and, it's and like the stove is on fire yeah. <laughs> and I left my hair dryer in the microwave and yeah and I started making plans for February of this year when I was definitely going to be done with the book and surprise surprise I'm not done with the book and everybody's waiting for me and it's definitely not so it's a little bit of that and a little bit because you pour so much of yourself into it that you feel very empty like there's that talk in writing about like refilling the well and I it takes me a lot longer to refill the well it turns out which is why I've written books five years apart I don't know how people do them two and three years apart but that is not me um I take a long time to kind of like fill up again so especially if you think about it and so like how many recipes are you putting up on the blog every week? Um, I've gone from, it used to be a lot more. It's really like one a week these days, but I feel like the level that each recipe needs to be is of a little course. bit higher. And I don't ever want filler. I also don't need to make filler. The site is old and there's like a thousand plus recipes on it. I need to make like really good additions to make you show up. And I, so that's really, there's like a very high bar of what I'd put on the site when in earlier days it might've been like, I tried this mushroom dish, it was okay. You might not want to make it the way I made it. <laughs> Publish. <laughs> but I guess my point is like a cookbook is, let's say, 100 recipes. Yeah. That's two years worth of slaving over making yes. sure that every detail is perfect. Exactly. In addition to making like, – one of the things I love about Smitten Kitchen or just food <laughs> blogging in general compared to more traditional print media, which mm -hmm. I think is one of the reasons why food blogs did so well is that – so many of the posts are these little vignettes where it's not one huge, re huge story with 15 recipes on for quiche. Mm -hmm. It's one quiche recipe with a beautiful story to go with it because that's what you're looking for. Um, so I think the concept of a book and having 
all your recipes also go together is definitely something. That was definitely something I really struggled with where I'm like, it's always like the first book I was like way too stuck on Dijon mustard and it was showing up in like every recipe. And then, then I don't remember what it was in the second book, but when I'm working on like the, the kind of framework for my next book, I'm like, I have way too much rice in there. There's like so much, there's so much rice and there's so much like chicken, which is so weird because it's not one of my favorite ingredients, but I have like five ideas and like anyway, so it's it's very interesting. And you, so I don't have to think about that as much for the site. And I, um, in a book, you really want it to be balanced. So you kind of crashed just through Smitten Kitchen and traffic and web traffic, and it was 15 years in about 30 seconds. Well, um, tell me about you. When when did social media come into play? Wow. In the sense of, I mean, we can break down everything, but you're everywhere. You're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest. What are your favorite platforms? Still working on the TikTok strategy. We discussed we, this a few months. We can get into TikTok. I love your TikTok strategy. <laughs> um, yeah, working on the TikTok. I love TikTok. Um, love but that's it. A, but I haven't quite. You should have your child. You should start paying your children to run it for you totally have my child do that like earn his phone that he wants so badly my god that he'll probably lose the first week anyway um so i basically my feeling has been i'm gonna continue cooking i haven't changed what i do i just if you want to be on twitter i'll show up on twitter like if you want to be on instagram i'll show up on instagram and facebook so i've always just wanted to show up where people are um, if this is how you want to get your news, I when I first started, RSS was like this really big thing. And so I made sure my RSS feed worked the way I wanted it to. And then there were like email RSS. And then I think it was Facebook. And after that, it was Twitter. And then it was Instagram. And now it's, I mean, I guess Pinterest was in there too. I never really mm-hmm. went hard on the Pinterest strategy. So my feeling is just meet people where they are. I also will say that I didn't get into things that I just wasn't into. Like, I didn't get seriously into Pinterest because I wasn't seriously into Pinterest. And there are definitely food sites with much better Pinterest strategies. And that's not me because it's really just me doing it. So if it doesn't do anything for me, it's sort of hard to maintain on it. So are you just po- like you're not changing necessarily the way you're approaching these different platforms. You're just sharing the same stories, same recipes. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there are definitely, and I see like larger food sites, and that they can do that. They can strategize for each thing. I'm uh-huh. more like, hey, Twitter, here's a cool recipe <laughs> from the archives, or hey, here's a new post on the site. It's more of a notification system for me, or a little bit of preview. On Instagram, I like doing story demos just because they're really fun and they're yeah. very easy to do. Um, or I found ways to make it very easy for me to produce them um, in my kitchen without help. So I think that's such an incredible case study on the power of personality. Um, and we kind of talk in food media, especially over the past decade, of the transition from sites being these like separate entities that people worship and follow to individual voices mm-hmm. that are that become the you're like culinary spirit guides in the kitchen. And I feel like that's what blogs have always known, that individual voice is far more interesting than editorial voice. Like, for a very long time at magazines, you had a stripping of voices. Correct. They, like they, no first wants person. To sound like, yeah, Martha needs to sound like Martha. You don't get to show up and be like, well, actually, you know. Um, so that's how it was. And I feel like the biggest place we're probably seeing that change right now is Bon Appetit, where it's really become fully personality-driven, yeah. and it's so different from the Bon Appetit we grew up with in, like, a wonderful way. Yes. But I feel like everyone is waking up to what people have always known, which is that I want to hear from you. And I don't know about you, but when I'm looking at a restaurant review, I'm like, oh, who wrote it? Oh, I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to read that one. 100%. Like, because I know, re- I know who I like 
mm-hmm. in terms of who who I think similarly similarly to. Mm-hmm. So and, you and I'm not that... going to name names, but no. there are like there's one at Eater that I as soon as I see, it, I'm like, I know I'm not going to feel the same not way. Gonna... I'm still going to that restaurant. Not going to happen. Exactly. Or like, thank you for telling me the opposite of what to do. It's not always like a hate thing. It's just like you know, it's like whatever just resonates with you, or they really dislike something that you deeply liked and now you like. But so, but why shouldn't it be like that for food too? Where and you know where you say like oh I really like the stuff this person makes I'm gonna I'm gonna I got a good feeling about this recipe, or you might say I find their stuff really cute but the recipes don't always add up so I'm gonna maybe go somewhere else but I like the idea. Interesting, and now how does that all play in with like an email newsletter? So we're adding <laughs> that concept just because right. you're everywhere and I feel like I, I funny enough just rolled out a re- newsletter redesign this morning. I love it. Yeah, it only took two years, but <clears throat> it's something I, like the concept of an email newsletter is something that has ebbed and flowed over the past few years in terms of like everyone was on it and then nobody was using email especially as they all these kind of like different organizers came in to unsubscribe you Mm -hmm. to everything you weren't reading and now there's the kind of age of axios and all these kind of like short form newsletter Mm -hmm. little bites uh but in general when it comes to editorial i feel like newsletters are kind of coming back into the spotlight um have you just stayed consistent over the years have you adjusted your newsletters adjusted definitely adjusted where i um because there's like i mean marketing like lists are such a big thing like how big is your list how many what's your open rate all this like craziness but i just wanted you want to get you want to find out what's happening on smitten kitchen through the mailbox (laughs) let's do that so i used to have and i still have it but it's kind of janky i'm just sort of like an emails to rss thing but i can't do a lot with that instead i rolled out this like weekly digest like uh four i think it's four years ago um and that's a roundup of what's new on the site events coming up it was usually a theme each week this week would be valentine well i don't know when you're going to publish this this week (laughs) is valentine's day so it's you know romantic stuff so it's just it's a different theme and it's kind of fun and i can link to stuff around the web so i find it kind of fun it's like a one week and i know there are people who mostly experience the site through the newsletter and there are people who don't even know there's a newsletter or a site and they just go to instagram so and what do you feel like in terms of the conversation around like demographics of who what is the age of the person who is reading your newsletter versus on your Instagram. I should probably be looking and I don't. <laughs> I sometimes I'm not really big about looking at stats. I mean certainly in my early years I followed them really closely so I could evaluate my self-worth likewise. <laughs> Make sure, you know, my parents still believed in me. Um, nowadays I tend to look but I try not to go too crazy over it because I'll check I will literally look like twice a year. That's um, amazing. Because if it I ain't can't. broke. Yeah, I mean it's not like the numbers are always where you want them to be, but but I just feel like it's just, I can't, there is a thing, I think this is true in all writing and especially in food where it's very easy, not easy, but like making popular food is very tempting. And if I looked at stats and I just wanted stats, mm. I would make all chocolate peanut butter and sprinkle cookies and like spaghetti twirls and like, and I love all of these things, but I think to keep people to really reflect a real way of cooking and a real way of eating you need salad like you need 100 percent. and i, and I need bowls, salad i literally things. just have yes. a great salad for lunch oh, actually i think i have a version of their caesar salad on my site yeah this like so i feel like even though it's not going to get the same click op- like open click it's really important to have everything one, because I know you're eating everything. Yeah. You're not just eating cookies and cake. And two, because I think it just, I think it, I think it puts 
people off when it's just, I mean, how many cakes are you going to make in a week? Really? Like one? And that's a lot. If I make people? one cake a week, that is a for good you. week for me. No, I just, I, but <laughs> I, I agree. More, but yeah. And then I guess that can play into it. I don't know how much you dive into like SEO because this kind of seems like the same conversation in terms of mm-hmm. just making popular food or just trying to win. But it kind of sounds like you found this organic way to grasp an audience and even though they might not all be looking for a salad recipe (laughs) or a healthy recipe those that will will end up on your site and have that loyalty to your salad recipe i mean i hope so it's not (laughs) a guarantee what you hope you're building is a trust and Mm -hmm. so that like even if you would know that if i publish it like i feel really strongly about that it's not going to make you angry and like ruin your evening and you're not (laughs) going to be able to eat it and you're going to have to order a pizza like that's kind of this little promise i've made and i think about that all of the time when I write recipes. But I was thinking about SEO because it's a very interesting, because I'm like I'm like an old web person. <laughs> and in the beginning of the web, URLs made no sense. They were like letters and numbers and whatever. Mm-hmm. And then Google came around and other web crawlers. And let's see how much of my tech hat I can remember. It's extremely little. Um, but, you know, they couldn't read it. And so SEO became this big thing of like, you know, and they would tell these legacy publishers like, hey, you need URLs with words in them. Once there were words in URLs, though, I feel like there's been a lot of people still selling SEO products, which necessary, like just felt like for a lot of years, whenever somebody said they did SEO, I was like, okay, cool. Nice snake oil salesman. You got Because the entire goal is to game Google and the... Google only wants to not be gamed. And so you really risk, and this happened all the time, trying these things that punish your site. Now you're on page 10 of results and you have like no income. So this was something that was happening a lot when I was paying attention to SEO. Now I think we're in another wave where there's so many other ways where you have your recipe search and they're doing all of those previews. And it is harder for an old small site like mine to get the same visibility it used to. Fascinating. But I, I think that's such an interesting look at what the priorities are and it sounds like your priorities are more so just like what's the name of the recipe that's going to be the url not little bit but you know i there's definitely the kind of thing where like if i was expanding more and if i could like hire more people but i don't really want to <laughs> boss around a bunch of people like there's all of that like that would be the kind of thing you might have somebody who's taking a look at the like the publishing end of it and making sure everything's tuned up probably there could be some improvements there no doubt but do you think that part of the reason that you aren't focusing on expanding is so that you can keep your focus and your attention to the recipes and the writing? I just, I really only care about quality and I only care about it like sounding like me and being something I believe in and I won't publish something I don't feel strongly about and I don't want anything to not sound like me. And so it's really, I don't, at at the point where these feel like, like handcuffs where I feel like I can't do things that I want to do, that's when I try to hire people to help me. But for the most part, yeah, no, I really just, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to be bigger just for the sake of doing more. If it means that like, it's not as good quality. I love it. It's like a, um, it's like the the living off the land, but for for media, <laughs> a little bit. I mean, you know, we'll we'll see. Like, there's definitely, you know, there's things I'd like to be getting into that are a little bit hard for me to get into because I'm so like I do so much every day. Um, but I'm working on it. Those are sort of like okay. Well, this is these are my priorities. So that you're figuring mm-hmm. out how to do more X, Y, and Z, which I feel like I don't have time to do right now. How much of kind of your voice do you want going through? the recipes themselves, the text versus photos, video. Obviously one of my favorite things is that, um, 
your site, your photography, it's all photos that look like I'm going to make this recipe and it's going to look like this. That's all I wanted to do. So I don't, when I like, like when writing teachers talk about voice, they talk about it almost like a something like you want to add in or you want to flavor it. Like, I don't think about that at all. I just write the way I speak. But yeah, when I'm taking photos, I'm, it's a really important to me. Well, there's two levels. One, I'm kind of lazy and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on food styling, but coincidentally, I think it's beneficial because it means yes. that the food just kind of looks there's no fancy lights. There's no like... It's approachable. It's realistic. Yeah. It still looks delicious. Plain plates, but I want it to look the way yours might look next to a well-lit window. That's it. Like that should be the only difference is lighting between what you're making at home. It should look like the same. I mean, aren't you going to feel like garbage if you make a beautiful <laughs> cake and it looks really ugly? Like how is that going to make you want more of that? But I mean... I can ask these questions, but like we all look at fashion and the fashion it's doesn't true. look like yeah. that on us and it does not keep us from buying the fashion. So maybe I, my view on this is incorrect. No, but I, I actually, I think that's a wonderful parallel and doesn't mean that your view is incorrect, but it's more so what is kind of this new wave of, you think of fashion and what the old school mm -hmm. covers of food magazines were, and they were these super unattainable, mm -hmm. gorgeous shots. And we are seeing this kind of like revolution of approachable, attainable food. And that's kind of trickling into editorial where mm -hmm. people, and I know this from like my experience working in print magazines where, where the editor in chief would be like, no, 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 it needs to look more like uh, more messy, more approachable. Obviously, now you have Imagine food stylists. Imagine having to be taught to be messy. But that's it. Now you have food <laughs> stylists spending two hours making a plate of pasta looking <laughs> like intentionally messy. I can do it for free. <laughs> I will make your food look messy for nothing. <laughs> um, but I think that's kind of one of the reasons why your voice food blogs have kind of had such a, an impact on home cooks, especially. What has been kind of your reaction to the... Uh, the only term I have is this Gen Z term of standship. Do you know what it means to, to stand someone? Oh, like phantom, like... Exactly. Like, like, like step on my throat kind of stuff. Uh, a little bit. Yes, <laughs> yes, like, yes, oh, yes. I went, I went, went right yes, to Gia Tolentino here. Yes. <laughs> um, but I feel like you have standship from professional food editors, chefs across the country, if not world. What has that been like? I... Um am as unaware of it as a person can be. I just, I really just try to like, I don't, I am so grateful for it, but it was, it's not the goal. It's like a cool thing that lets you keep doing what you're doing. So I'm so flattered when you say that, but I also am like, la 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 la, because I can't come from that place of like, I don't know. I'm not like, I'm amazing. Everything I do is amazing. Like, this is not going to help me create good stuff. Like, I need to, like, really believe that the next recipe has to be a make or break. Like, every you're as good as your last book. You're as, like, you know, if that makes... I just, that makes... I've never... <laughs> heard something that makes more sense to me. <laughs> I just like, what am I going to do? Be like, oh, I must be amazing. So therefore, like, that's like, that's first of all, I would be an asshole. And second of all, I would just be, I don't think it would really help me do good work at all to think that way. So I am super, like, obviously it's the best case scenario. And I feel like I got really lucky to get in at a time when there weren't a lot of people doing what I was doing. And then I stuck with it in a way that I hope is consistent but in general, like, I'm only like, okay, is the recipe I'm going to publish this week, is it up to par? Is it up to snuff? Do I need to, like, revisit it? Like, that's really what's on my mind. I love it. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break. 
This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart, a new building in Bushwick, Brooklyn, that provides offices, co-working, event spaces, and a brand new podcast recording room. Have you been dreaming of starting your very own podcast in Brooklyn? You can now rent space in 100 Bogart's custom-built podcast room to record interviews, voiceover, and commentary. The room is fitted out with two microphones, mixing board, and a MacBook Pro running Pro Tools. You can rent the space by the hour, and a rental of an hour or more includes a 100 Bogart co-working pass. That means complimentary coffee, tea, and access to your own desk for the rest of the day. So what are you waiting for? Get started on your next audio project. 100 Bogart has the space and amenities you need to kickstart your podcast. Learn more at 100bogart.com or call their team at 718-362-3539. So when we talk about kind of the idea of writing recipes, developing content, all of this start to finish. What has been the learning curve that has either been the the toughest to grasp or the most rewarding once you've kind of mastered it? Whether it be like the writing itself, the understanding of working a website, social media, monetization. <laughs> um I would say one of the most fun things is realizing that comment sections are good. Like, there's so much stuff about, like, recipe comment sections on the internet. There's so many good McSweeney's articles and everything else. And they're hilarious. But I think comment sections are great. I love them. You Do you can... respond to all your comments? Okay. So I try to respond to the questions. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to be like, hey, thanks for showing up. Cool, cool, cool. Like, that's not <laughs> Yummy, good conversation. Thanks. Yeah, woo. I just, for me, that's not, like, interesting conversation. <laughs> I'm sorry to say this since I have kids. I'm always like, this is not interesting conversation. It's just conversation. (laughs) And so the concept of comments, do you ever, like, to me, I feel like your next book should just be, like, have you ever seen the the mean tweets videos (laughs) where celebrities read out, like, mean tweets to them? Like, do you ever have these, like, hysterical comments that you're just, you're like... It happens. Like, it happens, but it's not a lot, and I think it's because I'm very present there, that uh-huh. the tone is a little bit more like mom's in the room, like... That's, an, like, that's fascinating. And mom, mom's not anti... Like, I'm not in there to fight with people. No, like I'm cool there mom. to like, yeah, okay, I'm not a regular mom. I'm a cool mom. Uh, let's see how many memes I can get in one <laughs> podcast. Sorry. Um, so... I just, but I, I, I like comments. I feel like the comments are where they're going to be like, Hey Deb, you're making your back to this warming milk. Like it was like probably a reader who was like, Deb, you're just, it's a lot faster to make custard this way. This is the way my grandmother makes it. You pick up all of these bits and pieces from real cooks at home who are, who are like the Kings of, I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm not going to do that. I don't do it this way. And you, and that makes you a better cook. So if you really pay attention, people will tell you how to become a better cook. So I think it's, a great thing to have and I love reading the comments and that's kind of then seen in your recipes have you picked up like you were talking about kind of the the oh I took this from Susan or I mm-hmm. took this from there do you do that with your readers as well a little bit yeah I mean it's not a time it's nice it's just a reminder or like hey Deb on this recipe you tell us to freeze the tofu but this one you don't I'll be like I should refresh this recipe with this. You're right. Cause I've learned things in 2012 or 2020 that I didn't know in 2008 about like cooking spaghetti. So, um, yeah, so pay, they'll remind me of inconsistencies. So I definitely, I've learned a lot from there 
and the ongoing conversation and also just hearing how it went in people's kitchens because you can write the most beautiful recipe and be like, I insist you use this ingredient. People are like, all right, well, it was Thursday and this is what I had in my pantry and this is where people get annoyed, but I love it. I'm like, tell me how you made it with canned olives and like one <laughs> tomato. Like, tell me how you did it. And it's like, t- it actually sounds really good. And that's in the back of your mind next time you only have canned olives and one tomato in your fridge. And now just kind of piggybacking off of that in terms of like inspiration of how you're thinking of these recipes. Like how do you decide what you're making next week? Like cravings. Cravings. As much as I can, I just try to stay with what interests me. It's really hard to get interested in what you're not interested in or to convince people you are. Like I was really working on this couple of soup recipes in the beginning of the year and they're just, they're not ready. They're not, I'm not, I'm just not feeling it. And I was just so close to photographing it and writing it because it tasted good. But I'm like, I just don't care about this. <laughs> and I had to pull it. And I like, and I really left myself in like a content like graveyard for a couple weeks there. But I felt better about that than just doing, having some mediocre So thing. do you truly let your gut dictate everything? So, my gut, and then sometimes I have good people who work with me who I've been lucky enough to, I say, like, hey, when you're looking for a recipe and I don't have it, could you remind me of what that is? Like, somebody pointed out, like, you don't have a really solid classic, you know, lasagna. I'm like, I do not have a solid classic lasagna. And so all of a sudden I'm craving lasagna. Yes. And so I was like, well, let me just give it a go. So I know from this that I wouldn't do it this way and I wouldn't do it this way. It turned out I had all these opinions. Then I wrote them into a recipe. I'm like, I have a lasagna recipe now. So sometimes it's a little bit, I sometimes like the reminder of what's missing. Um, and other times I don't care and I'm just going to make what I want anyway. And so how big is your team? <laughs> it's not. I'm working on it. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing where I'm like, I hate hiring people and I just want to be like left alone to do my work, but I'm also like quite miserable because I can't get it all done. <laughs> it's a complicated thing. So I have a, I've an ad team that are now like, you know, they work with a few large sites. Um, uh-huh. I have a part-time assistant um, and I have my – how would I describe it? I have my previous part-time assistant who – um, is on when I'm attorney leaving when she came back she's actually just gonna stay on for like a few things um, so she's helping me with some special projects like sort of larger uh-huh. agenda stuff which is actually really nice to have somebody just looking at the overhead stuff and I have I just started this for the la- I just hired somebody for the first time to hang out with me in the kitchen once a week I've never had an assistant before in the kitchen and it's weird because I don't let her cook anything because I'm a total control freak, but I love it. I was like, how did I do this for like 14 years? And what is that like? Are you like kind of talking to her to like jot things down? Of, like... We're like just tasting things together. I mean, sometimes if there's 12 onions to peel, yes, I will let her peel yes. some onions. Sometimes she just wipes down the kitchen between recipes. So we get through like four recipes when on my own, I'd be like, I'm done. I had did two today. I'm, I'm out. <laughs> Um, sometimes it's like, um, like this whole thing, my husband's like a, a pro- he's a project manager and he's, he just thinks it's crazy that I'll be like, Oh shoot, I ran out of sugar. Well, I guess my cooking day is over. Cause by the time I get back from the store, it's, I'm not gonna have time to start this recipe. Like, so yes, somebody who can run to the store for more sugar. Um, and yeah, there were definitely things where, can you just watch that pot while I start on this next? I mean, this is like so basic for test kitchens, but I've never done this before. Cause I thought it would be annoying and I actually love it so yeah it's, it's life-changing I, I, I might try to get this 
to a two-day week thing. So you're asking me about my team, and I'm like, well, there's this, and there's this, and there's this. And, and then um, all of a sudden, people at CIA are going to start doing their externships at the Smitten Kitchen, <laughs> Test Kitchen. It's, not, I, it's just, I don't want anyone to develop recipes for me, and I don't mm-hmm. want anyone to cook for me. And I'm like, so there's not a lot that I can outsource, but I found that I really did like the company and being able to like, like if you and I were cooking together, we'd be yeah. like, this is just, yeah, that cake doesn't, you know, but I remember, and it's just that back and forth while you're cooking. Amazing. Really nice. That's. I mean, I, I think it's so warming to kind of hear because obviously separate from the concept of monetization and you'll need mm-hmm. an ads team because that's how you're able to do what you do. But the fact that you're a one woman show is still like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I think it's incredibly it's a little insane. It, um, it's great. But the hardest thing for me is really, I mean, this has been the consistent, if we spoke five, if we spoke five years ago, I would have said the same thing. What are you struggling? I'm struggling with figuring out how to do more without draining myself further, especially like having two kids and having more hard stops on my time than I used to. Cause I used to be like, Oh, it's seven. Well, I'll just keep working cause I'm not done. But like that doesn't really fly anymore. And am I really going to work after my kids go to bed every night till 11 o'clock? I do by the way, but, um, it's not, you know, is there another way we could be living? Is there another way to do this? And just try to figure out like which things don't have to be me. And how do you feel about that balance between, because I feel like part of your voice is talking about uh, accessible home cooking mm-hmm. while you have a life, life and children life. and a husband. Like, it's kind of my, that's one of my favorite ways to talk about food as well, because obviously it's nice and there are these like project recipes that you really want to tackle mm-hmm. X, but most of the time I'm looking for like, what's a weeknight meal I'm going to make what or I, I have this can of beans. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel that that kind of balance and putting those hard stops because of your life has actually helped the process and the recipes you're developing? It has actually been so good because before it was all project. It was all like, I want to teach myself to make semolina pasta. I want to teach myself to make pasta. Like it was always something kind of absurd that was impractical. And I think people went there for that. But like, as your life gets busier, um, I've actually needed to be convinced to do some of these by my, <laughs> it's like, Deb, you need a lasagna. I'm like, oh, there's a million lasagna recipes on the web. And so she'll say, well, why don't you go look at them? And I'll be like, oh, those are all tart. Yeah, I would never, do- I would, I'm not going to do that. So they're like, she's like, trust me, you have a point of view on lasagna. Like, don't go work. So it's actually been a fun thing to be. Do you boil your sheets or are you using the oven I'd- ready? I neither. I have discovered that I really just like the 10 minute soak a la Ina Garten. And that allows you to use the good pasta, whatever you want. I love the roughly edges. It's like, it's like, I don't like the thinner pasta that quick cooks. Um, I feel like I don't really have to adjust the recipe to accommodate it. Um, yeah, so I like the... Te- so you get the real pasta, but you don't have to... Because it's not just the boiling. It's that it sticks to itself. Yes. In the colander. A hundred percent. Well, it and, sticks in, also in the pot, too. The pot, like, yes. It's nightmare. So mm-hmm. I, I am a... F- See, if I had not been pushed, I would... I'm never boiling pasta again for lasagna. Wow. I'm free. <laughs> so we have gotten to our... This is our lightning round. Oh. We're just going to throw out some questions. Mm-hmm. Super quick answers. Okay. Um, the first one being, and obviously this is difficult because you're the only person that Smitten Kitchen follows on Instagram. But like, <laughs> Okay, that is not, So I have two Instagrams. Yes, yes. I have my personal one. Yes. So I don't need to follow people in two places. Yes. But yes, sorry. <laughs> Who is someone that you're following right now that you really like? It could be a new follow. It could be an old school 
Um, uh, <laughs> um, we are Anna Jones in the UK. I feel like I'm newer to her work, and I really love what she's doing with vegetables. I love the mood of it. Um, Gorgeous. I think she's really creative, um, and I liked it a lot. So um, I think her Instagram is We Are Food. I love it. Um, what's your favorite cookbook that you've gotten in the past year? In the past year. Okay, well, yours hasn't come out yet. Um, I've been enjoying Diana Henry's um, one... Um, uh, from oven to table, I think it's called. I might have messed up in that, but I just cooked from it recently, and I just found like sometimes you open a book and you're like, I found three things I'm gonna make for dinner this week. That's amazing. I'm also really enjoying. Um, um, I'm I'm having. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sounds I'm gonna, like. Gonna, uh, it's like Southern African American culture. Um, it's like a huge book. It won a ton of awards. It's really amazing. Um, it came out in the last year. I, yes. I'm like, I, I've made a couple things from it and I'm like, just, I'm horrible at lightning rounds. <laughs> it's going to come to we me. We'll come back I'm going to like, yes. I'm going to text you later and be like. The last, um, recipe that you developed where on the first try, it was like so good. It was perfect. I lucked out on that lasagna I mentioned. There we go. It doesn't always happen. The last recipe that was a total disaster, and you were like, you had to walk away. Last night's dinner, like, I can't even <laughs> think about it. It was so bad. What was it? I've been messing around with these ideas of pot chickens, which I think are really, like, this fun. There's a, I feel like every great cookbook author has, like, a version of pot chicken. And I have, I have like, three versions that I've been playing around with, and... I wanted to add some rice um, or orzo to one, and I did that, and it was like, I mean, my husband's very polite, but I thought it was a little inedible. Like, I think about it, and it obsessed me. It was last night's dinner. <laughs> There's a lot of leftover. <laughs> what is exciting you in food right now? It can be an ingredient. It could be a, a culture. I love seeing so much more so many more places represented in food, so many more voices represented in food. We didn't realize, I think a lot of us didn't realize like how much like there were gatekeepers. It's not always malicious. Sometimes it's just, you know what you know and you hire what you know, but these were like all that was coming out of magazines. And I yeah. just feel like it's changing so much. And I love that I don't just have to hear about like pasta and chicken anymore. Like I get to hear about like the world of food, which I know is a passion of yours too. Yeah. With your book coming up, I'm going to plug it even if you don't. <laughs> um, but you know, like the places where food intersects, you know, like that food is this knit thing that connects us around the world, even if you think you don't know other cultures. So yeah. I love that. That's such a beautiful way to put it. Um, and now my favorite question, we play fuck, marry, kill. Oh um, but I picked some of your top recipes ah! <laughs> from your site. <laughs> oh, I, so we have now. <laughs> your chocolate peanut butter cup cookies, okay. your baklava babka and your stovetop mac and cheese. Um, uh, <laughs> I guess we got to kill the stovetop macaroni and cheese, although it's a real workhouse and I think it's really good. It was, that was definitely something where someone was like, Hey Deb, I bet you have a way of making it and you should probably write it up. I'm like, fine. <laughs> but I do think it's a great recipe, but it's fine. Um, uh, I guess we're going to, we have to fuck the chocolate peanut butter cookies. Um, yes. <laughs> and that was probably another one where someone's like, I've seen these versions of these cookies and I'm like, ah, oh, I think I could do a much better job. Um, and the baklava, Babka is a marriage because I think it's just a, a beautiful marriage of so many different things that I love where it's not overly sweet and you get to bring in things that you love about babka and baklava and it's it's really fun. Amazing. Great, great answers. Now, I guess 
to end this conversation, if someone was coming to you, and I'm sure they do all the time, and they were like, I love to cook, or I want to get into food, or start a blog, or write a cookbook, what would be the advice you'd give them? Um, well, when people tell me they want to get into cooking and they feel like overwhelmed by it, I'm like, don't listen to everyone. Just cook one thing. Cook one thing. Find one thing that nobody cooks well and, you know, like that you can't order, that it doesn't taste good when somebody else makes it. Like, work on that. Boom, you have a recipe. Now move on to the next thing that you wish you knew how to make. Like, just focus on one thing. There's this idea that you have to go to cooking school. You have to learn these 10 recipes. It's so boring. It may not be your 10 recipes. Some people don't care whether they ever make a cake from scratch. That's fine. Figure out what your five things are and teach yourself to cook them. You want to write a cookbook? Have a point of view. Have a point of view. There's so much, like, you open up the book and you've already seen that already. And, and, and I would love to... I always want to be excited on every page. I, on every page, I want to sh- see something done in a better way or a new way or that I haven't seen before. And I don't, I don't always see it. There's a lot out there, but I don't always see it. That is the ultimate way to end this conversation. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is The Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Feed Feed and myself at Jake Cohen and, of course, at Smitten Kitchen. (laughs) If you have a tip on who the next social media culinary star will be, send us a DM. We'll see you next time. The Feed Feed is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.